Welcome to the inaugural OnPsych, the podcast of the Ontario Psychological Association. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Douglas, and I'm a clinical psychologist in Barrie, Ontario. Ontario families have been hit hard by the pandemic, and especially hard hit are those families with school-aged children. Parents are worried about the physical safety of themselves and their kids, but they're also worried about the impact on their children's educational development and their social and emotional well-being. Here with me today is my friend and colleague, Micah Kenrinas, a clinical and school psychologist at Riverwise Psychological Services, also located here in Barrie, Ontario. Welcome, Micah. Thank you. Great. So glad you were able to join us. It's been too long since you and I had a chance to uh, to waste time together. You know, you used to be part of my practice, and I'd wander into your office specifically to waste your time. You know, and I really, I really miss those days. You know, and I miss and, those days too. Well, I'm glad I was able to waste your time by bringing you onto this podcast. So that's 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 wonderful. So, first of all, Riverwise Psychological Services. I can't help but notice that. Barry has no river. Uh, I was really curious where you got this name from. Oh, thanks for asking. Well, actually, it, one of when I opened this practice, I had a lot of thoughts and spent a lot of time trying to think about a name. And this name actually came from a mentor of mine who once developed it for her own idea of a practice, and she uh, never ended up using it. And she kindly and generously offered it. Or copywriting it. It was her idea, and she actually offered it to me, and I really liked it. And the way that I kind of think about it is um, the idea of the river is that, you know, as we're traveling through life and parenthood and childhood and whatnot, we're constantly kind of dealing with obstacles. And some of those obstacles are really obvious and they're very much on the surface, um, like trees and winds and that kind of thing. And some of the obstacles we deal with are underneath. So in that river analogy, those are your rocks and your debris and sticks and currents and whatnot. And I really see our role as therapists and psychologists and whatnot as trying to help families and help children navigate those waters. And so my hope is that um, in working together with families, we can do that with wisdom. And that's kind of the meaning behind uh, the Riverwise name. Wow. I'm, I'm so glad I decided to open with that because what a fantastic metaphor for what we're dealing with right now, right? Uh, you know, we've, we've got the stuff that's happening on the surface, you know, that we hear about in the news every day. And then there's the stuff happening under the surface, you know, sort of the, 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 these long-term consequences or at least our anxieties about them, right? And there's just so much on the plate of, of I think, every family right now. I'm really curious, you know, you've got young kids. They're how old now? My kids are four and seven and a half. Four and seven and a half. So you are solidly, you know, dealing with this stuff, you know, as that most challenged family, I think, you know, the, the family with the young kids. How are you handling it? Oh, wow. <laughs> Where to begin? Um, how we're handling it is really uh, kind of one day at a time. And one little chunk at a time. I think it's really easy to become overwhelmed uh, by some of what's going on for us right now, especially given how quickly things are changing. So sometimes from one day to the next, we're dealing with um, a completely different landscape, especially at the beginning of this pandemic. So we've really been taking it kind of one day at a time, trying to uh, gather our support 
and hone in on the resources we have to try and manage the best that we can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that you know, so many families are struggling to do that, right? Because there's so many families that don't necessarily have the same resources, right? You know, they don't have necessarily family living nearby or friends that can step in to help with, you know, childcare and this kind of a thing. And, and they even have, you know, lost jobs or, you know, had reduced income if they're, you know, dealing with a small business or something like that. So it's got to be really hard on a lot of families. Oh my gosh. I think this is just so, so tough on families. And The way I think about this pandemic is it's like a giant global stressor that is affecting all of us. And just like any stressor, it's affecting us all in different ways Mm -hmm. um, based on, like you said, the resources that we've got, um, the family makeup that we have, you know, all of these different individual factors, um, you know, impact how we're all coping with it. So there are certainly... You know, I don't think there's any family that's gone unimpacted by this stressor, but uh, there certainly are some families who are much more vulnerable than others uh, in regards to being able to manage and cope. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So in your practice, I mean, you're, you're a, a clinical and educational school psychologist, right? So, you know, you're ordinarily dealing with, um, you know, uh, doing like hands-on assessments, you know, with the, you know, the, the blocks and the drawings and all this kind of stuff, you know, um, and you're also dealing with psychotherapy. So you're, you're helping kids and you're, you know, doing parenting consultation, this kind of a thing. So I, I'm assuming I'm describing your practice fairly there. <laughs> That's not what I do at all. No, that's yeah, that's a good description. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, so what changes have happened in your practice as a result of, of the pandemic? Well, at the very beginning, just like we all did, I had to abruptly shut down without um, any planning or notice or forethought or anything like that. And so I immediately had to sort of shift um, in terms of how I was working. So the biggest thing that happened is all of my assessments immediately just went to a halt and were put on hold. Um, and so at that very beginning time, I was able to move a lot of my clients online, um, to see them virtually. So some of the psychotherapy clients and, um, some of the more parent consultation kind of clients. And in those early weeks, um, I also built up a fair amount of new clients, mainly some kids, um, for psychotherapy, but a lot of parents, a lot of families looking for support, um, to cope with what was going on. So that was sort of the first piece. So the first few weeks um, really looked a lot different than what I had normally been doing. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was really thankful and amazed at how I could do this work online, um, even without having done much of that before. And many of my clients having never worked that way before, we were able to piece it together and do some really good stuff online. Um, And I'm still doing a lot of that. So uh, still doing a lot of that work online. At the beginning, when I put all of my assessments on hold, I'll be honest with you, I kind of thought I'll shut this down for a few weeks and then I'll reopen <laughs> yep. and we can be doing what we used to do. And yeah. I think a lot of us just, we had no concept of where this was going. Um, yeah. So 
as the time went on and the weeks went on, it became evident that I wasn't going to be reopening in the same way that I had been working previously. So I, and I also realized that it was going to be a very, very long time before I would be able to do assessments the way that I was doing them before. So that's when I had to sort of reshuffle and rejig and start to think about, um, you know, the risks and benefits of having all of these people on hold and not being able to continue with assessments in that way. And so through that, I did a lot of research and talked with a lot of people and uh, developed kind of a new way of offering assessments. And so, yeah. And so we've been doing that since July. So I've been reopened to see assessment clients since July and uh, we've made some changes that have worked really nicely. So I'm doing a little bit of a hybrid now for assessments where I'm doing some pieces of it virtually. So things mm-hmm. like parent parent interviews and consulting with teachers, that kind of stuff is really pretty easy for the most part um, to do online. And then that reduces the amount of traffic we have to have going through the office and so on. Right. And then um, for, the, it, for the kids, for the actual testing piece, um, I've been seeing the kids in person again. And so we're doing that now with a lot more precautions in place. So the most obvious thing being wearing masks um, for most of the time. Um, and I've got a beautiful piece of plexiglass sitting on my desk now that yes. didn't used to be there um, yeah. as an, another sort of level of precaution. And just my whole setup has changed. So I've moved a lot of the stuff out of the office that used to be in here so that there's more space and we can just work with a little bit more distance um, within that, the confines of the office. And then there's all kinds of behind the scenes stuff that's different. Like I own so much hand sanitizer now and, (laughs) you know, I clean my office and my supplies and materials all the time. Um, Yeah. So it's, these are precautions I never would have imagined I would be okay with having in my office. And I, I had just never considered them before. And at the very beginning, when I started hearing about them, I thought that they would really hinder the process. And what I have actually found in the past couple of months is that I knew kids were adaptable, but this has really proven it to me. They are so incredibly resilient and adaptable. I had the same the same idea. Yeah, you know, like, you know, when they first said, you know, all kids are going to have this horrible time wearing the masks, and I'm like, I remember when kids, you know, when, when we came up with recycling, right? And it was the kids who latched on to recycling, and and they were like, oh, we are going to do this, and you know, they got into the rules of it, right? Kids of that, you know, that latency age child loves the structure of a good rule, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, I think, you know, I don't think kids are going to have nearly as much a hard time with the masks as, you know, we keep hearing. Is that what you're seeing too? They, the kids in my office have been amazing. There are kids, some kids are coming here with their mask on and they mm-hmm. are just rock stars in terms of keeping it on. It's been great. Yeah. I have had some kids who have struggled a little bit, you know, they're touching the mask a bit more or asking for mm-hmm. breaks and we've been able to accommodate that. So, mm-hmm. so far the weather's been reasonable. So step outside, yeah. take a break, let's take the masks off for a little bit, come back in. So for the most part, the, it's been a non-issue. Yeah, that's and, fantastic. Yeah. Even things like establishing rapport with kids while you've got a piece of plexiglass sitting there and you both have masks on, we can do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. We can yeah. Do it. 
So yeah, yeah. How about the uh, therapy? Are you doing the therapy uh, online with the kids, or are you uh, you know doing that in in, per- in person as well? I have prioritized the assessment clients for in person right now because right. Um, just that it's coming back to that sort of one chunk at a time kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. right now, because it's a service, that piece of the service anyway, that can't really be offered very easily online. Um, I've sort of prioritized that for in-person and I've been trying to keep most of my therapy clients online. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's been, I'd say it's been a bit of a mixed bag in terms of how kids have been coping with that. Um, Some kids are doing really well with it. They transition seamlessly. Some kids struggle with it and it's harder to make that connection online. Um, I've been able to make some changes, like, um, even just things like session length. Um, I've been doing some shorter check-in sessions with some children because an hour feels pretty long for some individuals in this format. Um, yeah. And I've been doing a lot more parents and kids together, which is something I do in my office all the time too. But, um, that's, that's been helpful online for especially some of the younger kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. What about the kinds of um, issues that you're seeing? How how is how's the pandemic influencing the, the you know what people are bringing to you to deal with? Mm-hmm. So what I would say is at the very beginning of the pandemic, when everybody went home and stopped going to school, I heard so many clients telling me, "My kids are doing great," and. I think a lot, a lot of my clients are kids who are anxious and many of them are anxious about going to school. And so having that time at home for some of them was like a big um, avoidance of the thing yes. that was making them anxious. <laughs> I've seen exactly, I, I do a lot of work, as you know, with, with uh, veterans and, and first responders with uh, PTSD and, same deal for them. It was like Christmas. I don't have to be out in crowds. I don't have to go shopping. You know, they, they were really actually thriving to a large degree, you know, during the lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. As time went on though, um, that's changed a lot. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, families are dealing with so much. So I think you can't, it's not really just about the kids and their mental health. It's really about the mental health of the entire family. So parents yeah. are dealing with so much, right? Financial stress, um, you know, relationship strain within households, uh, you know, so much stress and worry around kids and reopening and going back to school. And all of that has been so much. So we know that, um, you know, some of the early numbers that are coming out right now are telling us that parents are really stressed and their mental health is not great. So um, the Ontario Parent Survey, for example, that came out in the spring or was you know, being conducted in the spring and sort of came out a little bit more recently, told us that one in three parents um, reported significant anxiety symptoms, and 60% of the parents who completed that survey were reporting um, signs of depression, significant wow. symptoms yeah. of depression. So that's, that's really big. Yes. And that has a huge impact on the way relationships and interactions are going in families. And this all has, uh, this all contributes to our kids and the outcomes that they experience. So, mm-hmm. um, also part of that Ontario Parent Survey was that I think 40% of parents said that they'd noticed a t- deterioration in their children's behavior and their children's mood. Um, yeah. and then it all starts to compound on each other, right? When your child's struggling, you're more stressed. When you're more stressed, your child's struggling more. So there's really so much happening here that 
um, leads to concern around kids' mental health. And this is the same stuff that I'm seeing in my practice. So what I'm hearing from parents is we're all stressed. We don't have access to the same coping that we had access to before necessarily, right? Where we could, you know, put our kids in school or our kids could easily be in childcare or they could go to a friend's house or um, family could look after them. While we're trying to maintain social distancing and not have as much close contact, those resources are not as available to families. So that's a lot of what I'm hearing and a lot of stress around how do I help my kids with what they're coping with, but also I'm not coping, right? That's what I'm hearing from parents is they are stressed. They are struggling with their mental health and that reduces their capacity to be able to parent the way that they want to. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what advice are you giving to parents So, you know, in terms of like the parenting consultation, you know, um, what advice are you able to give parents to help the family and help themselves and help their kids through this? Mm-hmm. So I think it comes down to a few things, and it's all, always very individualized based mm-hmm. on, you know, all of the individual factors that we consider when we're working with our families and clients and whatnot. But one of the big pieces is to do that looking inward as parents and sort of tune in to where you are in terms of your own mental health and your own coping. And I'm really encouraging and working with parents and problem solving around how they can take care of their own mental health first. Because when parents are doing well, kids are also going to do better. And so working with parents around that, how to tune into their own emotional state, how to develop some capacity to take better care of themselves, how to adjust their lives so that they can be well taken care of. Um, and that does a couple of things. So one thing that does is it's really healthy modeling for kids, right? When kids see their parents exercising and taking breaks and, um, seeking support and talking about their feelings and processing all of this stuff, that's showing them how we deal with hard times, right? It's direct modeling to show them how we have to take care of our own mental health. And the other thing that it does is it frees up that capacity for parents to be able to give to their kids and to be able to support their children effectively. So the first piece is taking care of parents' mental health. Right. And then the second thing that I work with parents on is how to tend to their children's emotional well-being, right? So Mm -hmm. um, I work a lot under the emotion-focused family therapy kind of umbrella, And so one of the big concepts under that umbrella is emotion coaching. And emotion coaching is all about parents tuning in to what is going on with their kids emotionally. So being able to recognize their children's emotions and then being able to talk with their kids about that. So being able to validate what kids are going through, right? I understand this is really scary. And I I get why you feel scared because you haven't been to school with masks on before. And you're also scared because you haven't been to school in a long time and you're not sure what it's going to look like. And you might also feel scared because your best friend moved away this summer and he's not going to be sitting right beside you, right? So it's really helping our kids feel seen and heard and understood and validating for them that their emotions make sense. And then I the just keep... Yeah. Oh, sorry to interrupt. I, I just saying, I just keep referring people to a beautiful day in the neighborhood, the Mister Rogers movie with Tom Hanks. Oh, just watch so that good. movie, you'll figure it out, right? Just 
Try to channel Mr. Rogers. That's the guy who knows how yes. to empathize. Isn't that an amazing oh movie? Yeah. Such a yeah. beautiful movie. Yeah. It's, yeah. He, his approach is so simple and mm-hmm. so incredibly calming and effective. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the second part of that emotion coaching is just providing that practical support, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm here for you. We're going to work through this together. We're going to be a team and I'm going to support you through it. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Really wonderful. We're dealing with this uncertainty all the time. Every every week there's the uncertainty of what's going to happen with schooling. I suspect I have no inside information here, but my guess is that we're going to try to uh, keep up with in-person schooling as long as possible because there's so much concern. Uh, about, you know, they, they already lost, you know, part of last year, right? And, and I think there's going to be a lot of fear about it. But, you know, what do you think is going to be the long-term consequence of kids not being able to to have a, a normal school year? Yeah, it's such a million-dollar question, you know? And if I had the crystal ball, I wish I could see <laughs> what was going to happen. Um, I think this is a real concern, especially as this pandemic goes on and on. So in March, our kids were all of a sudden out of school for the rest of the school year. The teachers did a great job trying to put together um, an online program to be able to support kids for the rest of the year. But I think that most people would agree that you know, the instruction that they got was really just not the same as what would have happened in the classroom during that period yeah. of time. So there's a yeah. big gap there. And then we've got the summer months, obviously, where we're used to having a gap. And uh, we, I mean, we can look at some of what we know about what tends to happen during the summer when kids are out of school, right? So there's lots of research about this. And um, some people call it like summer regression or summer slide. And what we know is that there are a portion of our students who do tend to lose academic skills over even just a two-month break. And our kids who struggle with learning, so kids who are already behind academically, are the most vulnerable to that. So those are the kids who are going to lose the most. Um, And that's a big concern. So if you were to extrapolate that over the amount of school that our kids have missed, it's a big it's a big problem because we know that there's going to be gaps in our kids' learning. And even this school year, I totally agree with you. I don't think our schools are going to shut down unless they absolutely have to. Um, But our kids are still missing many more days and potentially many more weeks of school um, than what they usually would because everyone's staying home a little bit more. You know, there's going to be more disruptions. And so even over the school year, they're going to miss more of their, their education. So I think the one piece that's somewhat comforting is that we're all kind of in this together, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like one city or one country is going to lose out educationally. This is pretty much global. So yeah. we're all kind of in it together. But the fact that there are some students who are more vulnerable to that regression or that slide means that there are going to be some inequities as well in regards to how kids are going to fare academically here. So it could lead to even bigger differences in outcomes between, say, the kid who has a uh, a learning disorder and, you know, the gifted kid who's able to sort of roll with the punches and just, you know, be self-directed, you know, and that kind of a thing. 
Yeah, and we also will see, I think, some socioeconomic disparity here, right? Mm -hmm. You've got Mm -hmm. families who have the privilege of being able to have a parent at home who can work through some learning with their kids, um, Mm -hmm. who have access to devices and books and resources and whatnot. And then you have families who... Broadband, internet access, absolutely. And then you've got families who have very broken access to all of that and who also don't have the privilege of time with with kids at home. And so Mm. there's going to be disparities there as well. Kids are spending, you know, before the pandemic, we were concerned with how much time kids are spending on their screens, right? You know, spending so much time with their electronic devices. Now the electronic device has become an absolute lifesaver in terms of, you know, being able to remain connected with friends to, uh, you know, being uh, able to continue the education. What's the impact going to be, though, on the developing brain of spending all this time with electronic devices. Oh, I I would really like to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I just, I, all I want you to do is just predict what the research is going to yeah, say. That's all. So, <laughs> why, why wait for the facts? Let's hear from Micah. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, exactly. I'll just I'll just you know I'll just make some guesses. I I do right. not know. I think you're right. I mean, I think one of the concerns actually that came out in that Ontario parent survey is one of the worries parents have is the amount of time on screens right now. And like you said, this has been a worry for a while, but parents are more worried about it now because our kids are spending more time on screens. I think we can probably come back to some of those basic recommendations around screen time in thinking about the quality of the screen time that our kids are having. Right. So there's a big difference between passive screen time where you're, you know, just playing a game that's kind of repetitive and doesn't necessarily have a lot of value to it or watching YouTube video after YouTube video after YouTube video of like dancing cats and stuff like that. Um, And then there's a difference between that and like meaningful interaction with a teacher over a computer screen. Right. So I think that's an important consideration when we're thinking about screen time and time will tell what the outcomes are going to be. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, uh, even for the in-person classroom, right, there's there's so many differences with, uh, you know, trying to maintain physical distance and, of course, everybody being masked, right? Mm-hmm. I, I worry about, uh, you know, particularly for those kids that might be a bit behind developmentally um, or socially, you know, what's the impact of not being able to see half of somebody's face? I know. It's amazing. So, we know it's well established that kids get a lot of information socially, communicatively, emotionally from faces, right? They're mm-hmm. reading face, facial expression and getting information that way all the time. And some of that information is absolutely going to be missing when yeah. part of the face is covered. And yeah. so that will undoubtedly have an impact. I think um, what's interesting is Kids do adapt. And so mm-hmm. I really believe that they will tune into some of the other uh, features that can help them with some of that information. So paying more attention, for example, to the eyes, right? Yeah. My kids have made comments about that. Being able to tell how somebody's feeling. I can tell you're smiling even when you have your That's mask right. on because of the That's way right. your eyes look, right? Yeah. So I think kids will tune into some of those other features and as well as body language and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it's also important to really 
be aware of it though and build in some some other structures that might be able to support our kids. So whether it's just checking in a little bit more deliberately with kids around where they're at emotionally, right? Or being able to maybe do some creative work around like let's let's find some other cool signals we could give each other. You know, if we're having a hard day, there's a way you could tell your teacher that without having to say it with words, you know, that kind of thing might be kind of interesting. Um, I also mm-hmm. think our kids are going to have a lot of time where they're not wearing masks. So that's true. when they're outdoors, um, even at school, they don't have to have them on. And all right. of the time that we are spending at home with our children, we're not wearing masks, right? So right, our of kids are yes. still getting all of that input. So exactly. my hope is that this isn't going to have a major impact on them developmentally the way it would if we all had to wear these masks. 24-7. But right, I think it is right. an important consideration and something that um, that we need to think about in the school setting for sure. It's interesting because I, I was thinking, you know, one of the ways I think in which, you know, society as a whole is is beginning to shift, and I think psychology has been a big part of this, is, you know, learning how to communicate more directly and more clearly, you know. You know, when I say no, it means no, right? And you know, let me tell you what I'm feeling and, you know, you know, you know, exploring much more explicitly um, things that I think were once made, uh, you know, as assumptions. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're learning mm-hmm. to express things more clearly. And perhaps this, you know, one of the silver linings here might be we might have to overcome masks by using our words. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah, that's a really good perspective on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think there's any other um Silver linings here. Like, what are the other advantages of raising your kids in the middle of a global <laughs> pandemic? <laughs> well, I think this is a huge lesson for all of us in realizing how much we can tolerate uncertainty and really having proof that we can do things that are really hard and things that we never would have imagined we'd have to do, but that we've had to cope with. And so, I think this is a nice lesson in resilience and showing us how resilient we really can be and how we can do certain things in different ways. You know, we all get so stuck in the way that we do things. And even thinking about my own practice and the amount of work that I've been doing online, prior to this, I'd had like a handful of online meetings only when needed, right? And yeah. This has given me so much practice and it's made me really realize, wow, this is super convenient for some people. Some people work really well on this platform and this is a service that I will continue to offer um, even when I don't have to offer it anymore. So yeah. I think it's, uh, it's helping us be a little bit more flexible in, at times to sort of see what we can do differently. I think yeah. um, the more resources we have and the more privilege we have in our society, the more we're able to appreciate some of the silver linings. And uh, unfortunately, that's not the case for everybody. Yeah. Well, you remember how bad our parking lot used to be. I'm pleased to announce no longer an issue. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. At the beginning of the pandemic, I couldn't believe um, how little we drove our car. And amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So weird to get in the car sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be riding my bike. I, I ride my bike to the office as often as I can in the summertime. And the lack of traffic was like riding my bike on an 8.30 a.m. on a weekday would be like riding on a Sunday morning. Uh, you know, it's oh so nice. strange. 
Yeah. Yeah. The other, another silver lining that a lot of people have been talking about and experiencing is just the benefit of kind of slowing down a little bit as well. Yeah. So we were really forced at the beginning of the pandemic to slow right down, like right down to almost a halt. Um, yes. But I think it's allowed us to really appreciate some of the benefits of slowing down. I know myself, I've sort of restructured some of the ways that I'm doing things to be able to maintain some of that. And I think, um, especially in busy families, it's helped families realize that we don't need to be as busy as we were before. Our kids don't necessarily need to be in all of those activities. And we don't need to be living that um, chaotic life of, you know, feeling like you're in overwhelm all the time where you're just running around doing the next thing. So I think some of that slowing down has been nice. That's true. Cause I mean, prior to the pandemic, of course, I think one of the, one of the pressures on kids was we tended to overstructure their time, right? We would, you know, there would always be like, there'd be a class every night, you know, and, and, and that kind of a thing. And, you know, of course, those have simply been taken away, which I think is a huge loss as well. Don't don't get me wrong there, right? You know, we have the opportunity for kids to develop certain skills or, you know, be part of, you know, part of a, a team sport or something like that. And, you know, and there's certainly huge losses there. But as you say, the loss of that hyperstructure is not such a bad thing. But mm-hmm. what about the idea, though, that, you know, the kids sort of need the structure too, right? You know? Yeah, I think it's like... So many things in parenting, it's finding the balance and the sort of mm-hmm. sweet spot in the middle, right? Because mm-hmm. we know our kids thrive with structure. I, one of the things that I've heard from so many families since kids have been back in school is how, how beneficial the structure has been because yeah. the kids really do well with that. I've noticed that in my own kids. They love going to school. The structure is fantastic. <laughs> it yes. helps them. It helps them organize themselves and their lives and their you know, experiences, um, yeah, but yeah. being overstructured is really problematic as well. It, uh, it, it takes away from our kids ability to, um, just sit and process and, um, learn how to be, how to, how to be without mm-hmm. external structures telling them exactly what they need to be doing at that time and whatnot. I know with my own kids, it's been so nice to watch them figure out what to do when they're bored. You know, there's a lot of value in being bored um, because it, it promotes creativity. Exactly. Exactly. I was, you just, you took the word right out of my mouth. It is the mother of creativity is boredom, right? It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think I think it's probably why we started sketching on cave walls. You know, it's like, oh, it's raining <laughs> outside. It's cold. You know, it's got a piece of charcoal. You know, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's that's terrific. Yeah. What about though for the families that are, you know where the kids are online schooling, right? Mm. And sort of the you know because I mean number one, I, my impression is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean that's no six hour day online there, right? It's a lot less time. Than it, than it used to be, right? Well, what we saw in the spring was a lot less time than it used mm-hmm. to be. And okay. there wasn't a ton of direct instruction happening online in the spring. So a lot of what we saw there was teachers putting out work for kids and communicating with kids and doing some um, live stuff with them. But a lot right. of it was really um, work for the kids to do at home. Mm-hmm. And 
so there, there was a lot of downtime there. My understanding of the current program online is there's much more um, of that live teaching. So okay. the, it's more of that synchronous kind of learning. And there are different amounts of hours for different ages. So some of the younger kids, I mean, you're not going to sit a kindergarten in front of a screen for six hours, but um, right, there right. is a lot more of that happening. And even small groups are happening with teachers in the online learning now. So I think there's a, a lot of it is more active and interactive right now. But yeah, there's still some times during the day where kids are not on a screen live with their teacher. And mm. this is one of the inequities in the online learning program, right? We've heard right. so many times from our government, if you're not feeling safe putting your kids in school, you have a choice to keep them home and do the online. But not every family has a choice to keep the kids home on and doing the online learning. What we right. know about online learning is, especially for younger kids, it requires a lot of parent commitment and a lot yeah. of parent time in order for it to be done properly and for the kids to benefit from it. And not every family has the ability to do that. Most families, I would say, probably don't really have um, the ability to do that without making major changes to their lives. Yeah. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I've got some veterans, right, with small children where, you know, the, I mean, the nature of PTSD tends to be that, you you know, you have a lot of uh, anxiety and you have a lot of irritability and it's hard to have you know, the patience with young children, you know, and, and dealing with the, you know, the parenting thing, you know, on online. And it's just a really bad fit between what the need of the kid is and, you know, what the ability of the parent is to be able to manage that situation. It's a tough, tough thing. It is extremely stressful. So mm -hmm. uh, I've heard this from most families that I'm working with. There was so much struggle in the spring around supporting kids learning online. Um, and there's also a phenomenon where kids just do not learn the same way from their parents. And they are, yes. many of them, not as receptive to learning from their parents as they are to learning from a teacher. Absolutely. <laughs> I definitely I can imagine that, that yes. myself. Um, a lot more resistance and pushback on the part of kids. And I think a big part of that is just you're layering a complicated parent-child relationship on top of an already challenging task, teaching kids something new. And there's a lot of emotion there and that doesn't exist within the child-teacher relationship. So that's an added stressor. And absolutely, it is not easy to support kids learning online. Yeah, yeah, that's so tough. I want to thank you so much. It's been absolutely wonderful, you know, having this conversation with you and being able to have a chance to uh, do this communication, to get to see what you're doing and to hear about your, how you're handling things. And thank you so much for your input. It's been, uh, I hope, really helpful, uh, you know, for people to hear about this strange moment in time from the perspective of a couple of psychologists who really don't have a handle on it either. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. We're all human in this and it's impacting all of us. But uh, oh. I really enjoyed chatting with you about it. And thank you so much for inviting me. Okay. Thank you so much. You have been listening to On Psych, presented by the Ontario Psychological Association. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.